I was reading uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, as I read this first passage, Matthew chapter 8, uh, it suddenly hit me, wow, there's some interesting similarities between this story in Matthew chapter 8 and the story in Matthew chapter 26. Now on this paper, both of those passages are listed. So I'm not going to try to go as a detailed exposition through these passages. I certainly encourage you to go home and read them and pray about them and think about those passages on your own. But instead, we're going to be thinking about lessons that come to us by contrasting these passages and thinking about how they might apply to us. So the subject that came to me as I read through this passage and was meditating is sleeping through the wrong storm. Sleeping through the wrong storm. First is the story of Jesus in the boat with his disciples. It says a great storm came. The boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus was asleep. Jesus was asleep. And they went and they woke him up. They said, Lord, save us. We're perishing. He got up and said, why are you so afraid, you disciples of little faith? He rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And they marveled, and they said, what type of person is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, why do you think Jesus was sleeping? Why was Jesus sleeping when the disciples were? And by the way, most of these disciples, maybe as many as five or seven of them, were fishermen by background. And the place they're fishing, or the place they're crossing in this boat, is the same lake where they did their fishing, the Sea of Galilee. So they knew this sea. They had known it for many years. But they're really wondering what's going to happen to us today. So obviously this was a major storm. Why was Jesus sleeping? If you happen to open your Bibles, or you have a, a, a tablet or phone, or however you're looking, <coughs> excuse me, and you go up a couple verses from this story, which started in verse 23, to verse 20, you'll see that Jesus said there, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, you know, it began to be dangerous to host Jesus and his disciples as the opposition to Jesus was growing stronger and stronger. So why was Jesus sleeping? Well, uh, obviously he was tired. Maybe it's because he hadn't had good places to sleep. But another reason is we know that Jesus often got up early to pray. Now, it's a little difficult probably for most of us, but I'll share from my father's life. My father started getting up every morning at 4.30. Every morning, consistently, morning after morning. And uh, he later in life said, you know, that was one of the best changes or new habits that I put into effect in my life. However, by six o'clock in the morning, there would be knocks on the door in India. People are coming to see him because it's light. Why not? Come and see him. Ask for what you need. Talk with him. And so if you don't get up at 430, you're not going to have any time to be quiet with the Lord and study the Bible and pray. And the same thing was true for Jesus. When Jesus is healing everybody who comes to him, 
as soon as it's light, if they know where Jesus is and which house he's in, they're going to be coming, bringing their people and saying, Jesus, can you come out and see my, and on and on and on. So in order for Jesus to have time to pray, he either had to go out in the evening onto the mountain or sometimes he just probably very frequently had to get up early in the morning and go out to pray. And uh, we noticed a lot of times my dad would be middle of the day uh, taking a nap. Well, he had gotten up at 4.30 in the morning. Same thing about Jesus. He's here in the boat. Now, you know how sometimes in a vehicle or in a boat, for some of us, you know, maybe who aren't boat lovers, it may not work, but for others who are, is a rocking feeling that helps you go to sleep. So Jesus is sleeping. He's not worried about the storm. Maybe the storm started after he fell asleep, we assume. But anyway, this is Jesus sleeping through the storm, but the disciples, they are completely upset. Okay, let's look at the other passage then in Matthew chapter 26. And that's in verses 36 to 46 of that chapter. Jesus is, had the Last Supper, and uh, they've gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane. We had the privilege of visiting Jerusalem several years ago. And so it's just uh, across the valley from the, where the temple is and all of that, the Temple Mount, you cross the valley, and across there is the Garden of Gethsemane, and above the Garden of Gethsemane is the Mount of Olives. And this is a place where Jesus went frequently with his disciples. Uh, it's on the way to the, city, the village of Bethany. So he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he takes Peter and uh, James and John, and they go a little further with him. And it says he began to be very sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Just remain here and watch with me. You know, when you read about Jesus in this passage, this is the weakest and the most helpless that we ever find Jesus in his adult life. Now, he was a baby and he was very weak and helpless at that stage. But I'm talking about in his adult life after his ministry had been launched. You don't find him anywhere as weak and helpless. And under such extreme temptation, of course, he was in the desert and tempted there. But here he is going through a tremendous struggle of his soul. Going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I'm so glad that God included this story for us in the Bible, for us to see Jesus and what he went through. He came to his disciples, and here it is. He found them sleeping. So Jesus was asleep in the boat in the storm, which the disciples thought he should have been awake to help us. But now Jesus is going through a storm. It's not a storm of lightning and thunder and, and waves. It's a spiritual storm. Literally, your salvation and my salvation is at stake there. Is Jesus going to do the Father's will or not? Is he going to be able to go through this? And, you know, we can think to ourselves, well, of course he would. He's Jesus. No, but it bothered him so much that he begs the disciples, please pray with me because I am really going through this storm 
in my life. He said to Peter, Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, the second time he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. Now, in the disciples' favor, we do have to say this happens at night. This is on into the night. Uh, We don't know how late. Maybe it's already 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock. Uh, These are working men. So, yes, they've been working and they're tired. Uh, They're probably not men. Let's be kind and fair who are used to going on the mountainside and spending the night in prayer and staying awake. Okay, Jesus did that, but I don't think most of the disciples were really used to that pattern yet. They probably did after Pentecost in those days, but they weren't used to that yet. So let's not be too harsh with them because... You know, we have to kind of look at ourselves a little bit, say, wait a minute, where do I come in this matter if Jesus would ask me to watch and pray? Leaving them again, he went away and he prayed the third time, saying the same words, and he came to the disciples, said, okay, just go ahead and sleep, take your rest. Later on, the hour is at hand. Son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And there you can see coming into the garden across from Jerusalem is Judas. The priests, maybe a few of the high priests, but the servants and the soldiers that they had recruited. Now, if you watch the Passion of uh, Christ movie, came out, what, 10, 15 years ago, you actually see Satan in the garden trying to tempt Jesus. Uh, None of the gospel writers clearly tell us that Satan came into that garden to tempt Jesus. However, they do tell us that the devil, with all his cunning and his power, uh, was very much around because it said he had entered into Judas after Jesus gave him the morsel. So there's Satan literally entering into Judas in the Last Supper. And a few minutes later, Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, 30, the prince of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. So he has nothing in me. There's no sin in me, no hook that he has in me to hold me. And then in around the same occasion, uh, Jesus warned the apostles that Satan would soon make an assault on them. And he would, try, he would sift them like wheat, like a harvester sifts the grain to separate the chaff and the wheat. So whether Satan was, physic, was a present in that garden and tempting Jesus or whether he was trying in various ways, we don't know the exact detail. But we do know Jesus is going through a real storm in his life. It's a spiritual storm. Dr. Luke tells us, Luke 22 and 44, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He's he's in a storm, a spiritual storm that is threatening to overwhelm him, threatening to make him disobey the Father and not do the Father's will. But it's taking all of who he is to resist that. There's mystery here. We don't understand how a God-man even can be such a person. But the God-man is somehow under tremendous storm. They were sleeping, 
through the wrong storm. Jesus fell asleep in that physical storm, but they are sleeping. Not just once, not just twice, three times. They are sleeping through the wrong storm. He rebuked them for their lack of faith when the first storm, they woke him up. But here, he rebukes them for falling asleep instead of praying, instead of being able to watch. So let's think a little bit about some of the things around sleeping through the wrong storm and how we may examine our own lives and ask ourselves, are we sleeping through the wrong storm? Okay, so number one, if you have those sheets, wrong talk, the wrong talk of the disciples. They were talking brashly and they were disputing about the wrong things. What were they talking about? Well, Luke chapter 22, 24, and there's other passages of scripture, but this is right after the Last Supper. So Jesus had just washed their feet, and he's just given them the bread, and he just given them the juice. And what does it say? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded to be the greatest. By the way, this was one of the disciples' favorite subjects of conversation. Which one of us is the greatest? Is it John? You know, the disciple Jesus loves, leaned on his breast. Is it Peter, who seemed to be the natural leader, and even Jesus treated him as the leader? You know, which one of us is the greatest? Was that a worthwhile conversation for them to be having when Jesus is entering into this storm very much literally? And then we read in Matthew 26, 31 to 35, Jesus said to them, You'll all fall away because of me this night. It's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, the sheep of the flock. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him. Now here's where Peter starts talking wrong. He says, Lord, though these guys, these weak disciples, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. One passage says, before it crows twice. Peter said to him, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I'll not deny you. But the next sentence says, all the disciples said the same thing. It wasn't just Peter who bragged and said, Jesus I'll die with you if I need to. I'll never deny you. They were all saying the same thing, except Judas is not there anymore at this point. <laughs> Judas has already left to go meet the servants of the high priest and get the soldiers ready to betray him. So first of all, they're discussing who's the greatest among them. Jesus had just washed their feet, and the whole point of washing their feet was the one who wants to be the greatest should be the one who serves the others. Uh, then they're all bragging about how much they love Jesus. They're all really confident, you know, in their love for Jesus. I mean, you know, we're Jesus' clear men. We will not do anything. Well, some of the things I've heard during these last year or two with COVID have uh, concerned me. Are we talking the wrong talk? And one of the things that's concerned me is, I've heard a number of people talk about somebody who has died because of COVID, 
as though that was a terrible defeat. I'm talking about a believer, strong believers who died because of COVID. Man, that's the worst thing that could happen to anybody. Where do we get what the Apostle Paul said was absent from the body, present with the Lord? Where do we get what the Apostle Paul said? My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Philippians 1.23. I mean, if we start talking that way in front of people who don't know the Lord, what kind of a testimony are we giving them about what heaven and eternal life means to us? If we talk about dying from COVID is the worst thing that could happen to somebody. Now, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to be taken by cancer. It's a terrible thing to be taken by a heart attack. Yes, it's a very painful thing, and God has hardwired us as human beings that we resist dying, and we're supposed to resist it. Yes, there is a sorrow, but it's a sorrow that's different from the sorrow of the people of the world who don't have any other hope beyond the grave. Our sorrow has to be different especially when that person we know is in the Lord and they've gone on to be with the Lord. We don't sorrow in the same way as the people from the world. So we need to be careful how we're talking, what kind of message our talk is conveying to other people. We were in prayer meeting at our home fellowship, Greenville Christian Fellowship, and uh, one of the brothers shared a prayer request for a missionary to, I think it was Curacao. They had been there more than 30 years. And uh, I won't tell you the whole story because it gets a little complicated, but somehow the husband was in the country, a Caribbean island, and and she was out. She got COVID. Uh, She recovered. She wants to go back. But the government of Curacao says to her, you cannot go back unless you're vaccinated. Okay? So she says... You know, she and her husband, I don't need to be vaccinated because I've had the disease. But the point is, when we are Americans, and we have certain rights. That's true. And we can have disagreements about these issues. That's fine. And we can discuss them, and, and we can try to promote our viewpoint. But we're not dealing with America here. We're dealing with Curacao a sovereign nation that has their own right to decide what they want to be the requirement to enter back into the country. Was it reasonable what they asked? I don't know. I'm just saying it's their right. And so afterwards, I went to the brother. I said, you know, I have a little advice to pass on to that lady. Just get vaccinated. And go back in with your husband. Okay? Now, you know, we need to be careful what kind of a message we're conveying. I'm not pushing either direction here. I'm just saying we need to think about what our speech is conveying to other people about what we believe. Yes, we have rights, and we should defend those rights. I'm fully in favor of that. But we need to be careful how we are talking as to whether we are talking the wrong talk and giving signals that are wrong. Secondly, I want you to think about reading the signs wrong. Reading the signs wrong. You know, (laughs) Jesus had been talking to the disciples for a couple years prior to this point. And he'd been trying to help them understand that he's going to be suffering. He's going to be dying. He's going to be resurrected. 
Uh, but it gets even more intense in this passage because you find there in Luke chapter 22 that he said, I want to eat this Passover with you. I've longed for that. Now, is this the first Passover you think Jesus ate with the disciples? No. He did Passover probably the year before and the year before with the disciples. They did this every year as Jewish people. But this Passover, he said, I really long to eat with you. And he goes on because he says that this is going to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He said, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, you know, if they were listening, they should have understood something big is happening now. Because this Passover is different for Jesus than the other Passovers that we had together. And then he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did Jesus ever say that at the other Passovers that he ate with them? I doubt it. Something is happening. But do you see what the disciples are like? They're in a daze. They're just not picking up on any of these things that Jesus is talking about. My life is coming to an end. This is my this is the new covenant in my blood. Whoa, what is going to happen? And then he says in verse 21 of Luke 22, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. So the person who's going to betray me is sitting here at the table. In fact, he says in another passage that he's going to give him the morsel of bread. So what are the disciples? It says they began discussing which one was going to do this. But as we read through the story, Hopefully we can understand, man, they were missing a lot of stuff. It's like they're half asleep. To realize that this is a monstrous storm that is engulfing Jesus right now and all of those signs of his suffering in the garden. You know, brothers and sisters, there can be some signs around us that we are missing. We're looking at the wrong signs sometimes. Here's one sign. As recently as 2009... 77% of Americans told pollsters they consider themselves to be believing Christians. Then, in just 10 years, over the course of the Obama administration, that number dropped by 12 points. Over the same period, the number of atheists and self-identified non-religious people in America jumped dramatically. And this is all before covid No, America has not lost its religion. It's just replaced its religion. What's dying is the faith that created Western civilization. Christianity, I'm quoting here from something that Tucker Carlson wrote. And you know what our religion can begin to take into itself, if we're not careful, is a high, high value on comfort, a high, high value on security and safety, a high, high value on self and personal fulfillment to the point where we read the words like Jesus saying, if you don't take up your cross daily and follow me, you can't be my disciple. It just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense because it doesn't fit with the comfort and the security and the personal fulfillment, which we think is our right. Now, there was one promise which uh, Barack Obama did fulfill Uh, he said he was going to promote homosexuality, and he did. In one year, the United States went from the majority of people thinking homosexuality was not acceptable, they disapproved, 
to the majority approving. Not necessarily that they are themselves going to practice it, but they approve it in one year. Is that any kind of a sign that should bother us and alarm us as followers of Jesus Christ? Here's another one related to missions and world missions. We have about the same number of long-term missionaries today in 2021 as we did 70 years ago when my father and mother went to India as missionaries. It stayed almost the same, even though the population of the United States has doubled in those 70 years. So our population has doubled, but our number of long-term missionaries has stayed the same. Now, there's a lot of reasons. I won't get into all of that. I'm just saying it's a sign that something is happening that we need to be aware of and not fall asleep and not think everything is just, you know, if we can just get past this COVID, everything will be okay. Well, it's a lot more complicated than that, friends. There's a lot of signs that we've got to read and read them the correct way and realize we have got to be awake because what is going on in our world. So the disciples were reading the signs wrong. And then lastly, we can inadvertently be helping the wrong side. We can inadvertently be helping the wrong side if we don't watch and pray. There's so many scriptures that warn us to be awake. Uh, we need to be careful. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse I've got, I think it's 30 written here. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. We're either pulling with Jesus in the right direction or we're a weight on the kingdom's progress moving forward. There's no in-between. We're either pulling with Jesus in the right direction or we're hindering his work going forward in the right direction. This is actually one of the most common themes in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament. Let me just give you a few verses quickly. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things that is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, the armor of the Spirit, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Don't go to sleep spiritually, making supplication for all the saints. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, be awake spiritually. Continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then Jesus says in the book of Revelation, chapter 16 and verse 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Now, <laughs> we all struggle, I do anyway, with praying and being spiritually awake like I need to be. But I just want to remind us this morning that if we are not spiritually awake and we're not praying, we are going to miss 
some of the things that God has for us. There's another story about the disciples sleeping when they should have been praying. I don't know if you've ever thought about this story that much. I missed it myself. But Luke tells us this story, and it's the story of the transfiguration. And I always assumed the transfiguration was in the daytime. It may have been, but it could very easily have been at night. Because again, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. We find that he goes up on a mountain. And the reason he goes up there, it says, is to pray. In the book of Luke, chapter 9 and verse 28. So, Jesus is praying. And guess what? Peter and James and John begin to fall asleep. When they're sleeping, as Jesus is praying, the appearance of his face is changed, is transformed. His clothes become dazzling white. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and they begin talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about Jesus' exodus from this world, which he was about to see fulfilled in Jerusalem. But then the next verse says, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. So this is going on while Peter and James and John are sleeping. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. And of course, you know what happened. Peter wakes up out of this sleep and he is all confused because the scene in front of him has changed dramatically. It was just Jesus praying. Now there's Jesus with all this glory, you know, unimaginable, and Moses and Elijah. And so he says, Jesus, let's build three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Well, he spoke very foolishly because he wasn't watching and praying. And this took him unawares. He wakes up suddenly and he sees this scene before him. And then, of course, God shuts that down very quickly. A voice from the cloud says, this is my son. Not Moses and Elijah. This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And suddenly the others vanish and Jesus is there alone. So, brothers and sisters, I'm asking myself and I'm asking you, uh, are we sleeping through the wrong storm? And maybe the answer, I hope the answer for you, and I hope the answer for me is no, we're not. But even if we aren't sleeping through the wrong storm, let's be careful we don't go to sleep in the wrong storm. And there be all kinds of signs of spiritual danger around us. And we start talking about things that are the wrong things to discuss. And we inadvertently find we're helping the wrong side instead of actively, proactively serving God and being on Jesus' side. May God give you and give me grace to be awake and watching and praying so we don't sleep through the wrong storm. God bless you.